Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast and Oklahoma State has exercised the demons and they beat OU in Stillwater with everything on the line and oh my gosh Dustin what a night in Stillwater what a night to be a Cowboy fan frankly what a weekend to be a Cowboys fan how are you doing because <laughs> I, I can't believe this. It's just business. That that was just business. Yeah. Taking care of business. See, you, you see the dynamic between Dustin and myself here. It's two, three days later. I'm still apoplectic about all this. And <laughs> Dustin says, that's ah, just business. He's right. It is just business, no, but I, I am not I, that way. No, it was awesome. That, that was a fun game. Uh, awesome game to be at. Atmosphere was insane. Had a blast. Uh, it was the first game my wife got to go to this season, so that oh, that's was awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, she let me uh, just use the other season ticket uh, to leave her at home every game, so I appreciate that. But uh, she she finally got to go, so that was that was a fun time, and it it, it it was an awesome game. Amazing, just ups and downs, and just wild. Yeah. No, I mean the the photos looked unbelievable. It was believe it or not, it was the first home bedlam game I missed since two thousand and seven. I've been to every single one since 2007 when I lived in Connecticut. I didn't make that one Uh, a great streak. And And you're a terrible fan. And and I I mean, I missed maybe the best home game in Boone Pickens stadium history. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I was at 2011. So, I mean, I still have that one locked in the old in memory bank, but this one, like I, I have photos of me uh, on my knees in my living room after the win, because it's just like, I don't, I don't have anywhere to go with this emotion except right here <laughs> next to my coffee table and my daughter's plastic slide. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I got, I got, I'm in a glass case of emotion basically. No, wherever you're watching this game, it was awesome. Whether you were there on TV, it was, it was just a fun game all around to watch. I don't know if fun's the right word, but it was wild. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot. Where does it stack up with the birth of your daughter just a couple of weeks ago? I mean, uh, I mean, I'm going to have to put this game above it, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, luckily just my kidding. wife's, my wife's never listened to this podcast. Yeah, no, know. mine either. That's why I feel comfortable asking. Um, <laughs> no, man. Well, Dustin, let's just, let's just jump right into this. I mean, uh, we've already, the, the superlatives have been um, out there for, for four days. I think that's one of the benefits of you and me doing this podcast a little bit later in the week where, you know, we can kind of let some of that die down. Everything that you've heard about, you know, uh, an unbelievable game, the best game in Oklahoma State, like we've, that's all been talked about so much. Like Dustin and I are going to sit here and tell you how it happened um, because there, there's a lot that went down in this game that, that turned it towards the Cowboys and I think it's a great place to start Dustin this was a a coaching master class on on both sides really um and really it was the tale of two halves it was it was the coaching master class in the first half from the Oklahoma offense and and really Jim Knowles won 
in the second half. And so, Dustin, I think where we start personally is we start with the Oklahoma State offense. Uh, and I, I wrote this down. I think we need to rename this podcast to the Feels Like Spencer Sanders is going to be a factor podcast because, oh, boy, was he important. Yeah, what, what did we say last week? We said, I think, 50 yards, right? Yeah, 50 yards. Sanders needs to rush for over 50. Well, you take out the four-yard loss on the sack, he rushed for 97 on 15 attempts. That's absolutely insane from a quarterback. He's, he's such a good runner. That's 5.8 yards per carry. Uh, he's such a good runner when he gets downfield. I know sometimes he has a tendency to kind of get outside, maybe try not to – maybe try to avoid the hit, but – I mean, you got to like that from a, from a quarterback at times. And he, he's just such a good cutter. He's got great vision. He's strong. He will tuck his head and take the hit if he needs to get the first down, but the way they used him in the run game. So I've got, I've got eight zone runs. So that's either zone read or that zone bluff play, which basically that's when the Cowboy back or Blaine green in this game comes across the line blocks one way. He comes across traps the other way, fakes the trap, bluffs it comes around and takes the first uh, defender at the second level and Sanders follows him. So those plays, there was eight of those for 13 yards. He scrambled six times for 47 yards and then the one option run for 37 yards. So just using him a bunch of different ways. He's just such a factor in the run game. And oh, you didn't really have any answer for it. When, when they went into man coverage and widened out, especially when Oklahoma State was going four wide, Sanders saw that opening in the middle of the field and he just took it, just took off. Those aren't draw plays. That's a pass play. He sees man coverage, everyone widening out. There's no spy. The pocket's forming around him, and he just takes off up the middle. He did that, that, what, three times? Yeah, at least. And that is actually – I had written that down as well because it's such an area of improvement for him. Like, we were not seeing that last year, the year before, even early on this year. He – we always – I remember yelling in the stands – tuck it and run like you see it you see the seas part and he didn't used to but he is seeing it with great consistency right now and it adds a complete other element to this offense like his legs are already dangerous enough but if he's seeing the field well and he's able to make that conscious decision like okay my first and second read are not there my third one's not going to be there i've got the middle of the field wide open i'm going i'm i'm already gone like he's he's seeing the game so much faster and he wasn't perfect in this game. Um, and I think we'll t- we'll probably talk about this here in just a second. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but I thought even his decision making um, in those split seconds where you've got a defense in Oklahoma who we've talked about this for several weeks now is very fast and is very um, chaotic from sideline to sideline. So his ability to stay calm for the most part, and, and still know when it's appropriate to tuck and run was really impressive. Oh, yeah, uh, 100%. That's a great point, and such a great point that Gundy and Casey Dunn both brought it up after the game unprovoked. They were asked about Sanders, but they both went to his just decision-making and ability to know when to tuck it and run. His movement in the pocket also. Yeah, I know, some, I know a few times he made the moves, like you said, getting out of the way, and then ended up not throwing the best throw, but the way he's able to move. And we talked about it in a previous podcast. He knows Preston Wilson at right tackle is going to struggle with speed. He knows sometimes Cole Birmingham at left tackle is going to struggle with speed and he doesn't even have to look. He can feel it. He can sense it. He's just gotten to the point in his college career where he know, he's just so peripheral with everything going on. 
he can parry and move to the side and evade the rush without taking his eyes off the off downfield. Casey Dunn talked about it in the past. He would look at the ground when the pass rush came and he'd have to pick his head back up. And then where's he going to throw it? He's got to completely read the field again. He's keeping his eyes up and he's able to move around and see exactly what's going on and let plays develop. Yeah. I mean, he, again, and I think we, we just jump right into this. The, the two interceptions that he threw the first one I want to talk about, because this was really interesting to watch back on the broadcast one, because one happened this way. Um, and, and Dustin, maybe you can break this down a little bit if I explain this poorly, but really what it looked like was Spencer saw a cornerback, what he thought was dropping back into zone who really was breaking off on the route and was cutting up underneath that out route that Blaine green was running through a pick on that in the, in the end of the first half and very closely almost threw another pick six on the exact same type of play on the opposite side against the opposite corner in key Lawrence crucial play in that game. That pick six was dropped and it ended up setting Oklahoma state up for a drive to go down the field. Those two interceptions though, the one at the end of the first half and then the one that bounced off of, of Tay Martin's face mask, Spencer's just trying to make a play on third down. What'd you make of those? Yeah. So no, you, you broke it down perfectly. We actually talked about it off air because he threw a pick on a similar play against Baylor. They love that out and go concept. So basically the outside receiver is running a go route or fly route down the field. And the inside receiver is running an out. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it's like eight to 10 yard out. So it looked like, and Kirk Herstreet actually, when I went back and rewatched the game, I don't always listen with sound, but Herstreet does a pretty good job of breaking stuff down after the play sometimes. So I like to listen. He I think he broke this one down pretty well. Similar thing that you said. It looked, I think what Spencer thought, because OU plays a lot of man with off coverage. So I think he thought the way the cornerback was kind of face up on the receiver, that it was going to be man there. He was going to go all the way up field with the go route. And Spencer was going to have the out route to the sideline because the safety was 10 yards off the ball that was over the slot. So he's got enough room to break. Well, I believe that was Blaine Green on that play. It was. Kind of rounds it off, which isn't a problem, not a huge deal. I would have liked a, you know, a, a sharper cut to the sideline would have probably helped Spencer there. But, you know, that cornerback, he's actually in zone. He stops, plants, sees Spencer eyeing that out route and just jumps it. It was – OU did a pretty good job of disguising their coverages in this game, especially early on. It's something that we've seen Baylor do, and Baylor did this to Spencer Sanders – it's, it's a little bit different than what you see from like an Iowa State who kind of drops back into that drop eight coverage look with the three deep safeties. They're kind of moving people around. They're showing, you know, blitzing six. Looks like probably man coverage behind it. And then three of those guys drop back. They're dropping eight. Something similar that we've seen Jim Knowles do multiple times this year. And OU actually did a pretty good job of confusing Sanders. And they confused him on the one. They confused him on the other one you mentioned which I believe that's the one you're talking about where Spencer threw it outside to Presley. It was, it was literally on the opposite side of the field uh, in the third quarter, going the opposite direction. And key Lawrence did the exact same thing. So Presley actually, I believe on my rewatch, I could be getting this confused with another play, but I think Presley actually ran that route correctly because he realized it was zone. And instead of breaking to the sideline, he sat 
and Spencer still threw it to the outside. Mm, That's I think, why Presley's nowhere near the ball. Yeah, no, I think you're correct. He was like Presley. If you go back and look at it, he's still a little bit behind where the ball ends up. Yeah, so he's I think sitting you're right. in the zone, and Spencer's thinking he's going to break out. Just some confusion, but it's it's good deep. It's not great throws from Sanders. He's got to be able to realize that. He's got to be able to see stuff like that on film, but it's also good defense by yeah, like, like, and, and that's kind of where, you know, people listen and may think we're, ham- we are, I'm not hammering Spencer because of what you just said. That is good defense. And, and you would want your quarterback to see that the first time and not make the same mistake twice. He did, but it didn't bite you. And Oklahoma State's still able to go on and get this win. So it's no harm, no foul. And it's a great coaching moment because we haven't really seen Spencer do that a whole lot over the last eight games of the season. So it's a good moment for him to be like, okay, this is this did not cost us the game. It cost us a moment in the game, but we're still alive. And, and if I see that again, I'm going to be aware of that. Right. And then – one of his incompletions is the deep ball to Tay Martin, right? The, which was a great throw and great. I thought it was a catch. Absolute seed, and <laughs> frankly, cannot believe that that wasn't a t- ruled a touchdown. Right. Then you've got the slant, which was a nice, nice play by the defense. Probably could have still been caught. You've got the throw when he's getting pressured and evades the rush to Presley over the middle, which also probably could have been caught. Another pretty good play by the defense, but I think it could have been caught. You have the batted ball by the defensive line. You have the other pick, which he had a window there. They showed it back in the replay. He had he had room there. It's third down. He's trying to fit the ball in there. It's Bedlam. He's trying to make a play. And we've seen him kind of go away from that this year, trying to force it. But I don't know if I hate that one. You've got the deep ball to Bray, which they're having trouble connecting on that. I don't, I'm not going to put all that on Sanders because Bray and Sanders on the deep ball have, They've struggled recently. They've had, on that. they've had issues. Yeah, you got the high throw, and then you got the poor scr- poor throw on the screen. And yeah. Every everything else was pretty good, and he he pretty much picked OU apart when they dropped into zone from zero to ten yards. He was on fire. Well, bef- and before the first pick and the end of the first half, he was lights out. He was seeing yeah. everything, and and he was making every throw. Yeah, so he – there's a stretch between the first and second quarter. He, I have this – I went back and tracked this. He went 11 of 12 for 147 yards in a TD, and he hit five different receivers. Yeah, so <laughs> – right, exactly what I'm just saying. That's that's unbelievable. I, I didn't think it was a terrible game from him. You can't – it's – like we're saying, it's not all on him with these interceptions sometimes, but you just can't have – Nope. You can't I, have them in games like this. You you can't have three again against Baylor. You really don't want the two against OU, but you've got the defense, and you know we'll get to the defense. But overall, especially you can't just talk about the passing without talking about how he ran the football. Right, so right. all together, I mean, I think it's a great. He was the second highest graded PFF offense. Well, player. you you run the ball sixteen times and take the amount of hits he does, and and you you hang on to it every time, like. I think you just take the good with the bad with him and also understand like the bad is getting fewer and further between. Like I have that feeling. Like I don't, I don't get the feeling that what happened on Saturday with those interceptions carries over into this weekend against, but I, I think there's just a different mindset with him and, and that's what it looks like to me. So um, again, I think you have to take it uh, holistically as you're saying and, and give credit where credit's due. I think he is, 
he has taken the leap that we've said that uh, several weeks in a row now, but like, like he, he's a quarterback that can go win you a championship. That's yeah. I, I think, I think he is. And you have to kind of factor in too. I, I did not think the pass protection was amazing. I thought it was okay. Well, Woodard did a pretty good job. Sills did a pretty good job. They actually have Preston Wilson graded pretty high on PFF. And I don't agree with that. He was getting beat off the edge. Birmingham really struggled, but you know, they're struggling going against Nick Benito, who's an insanely good pass rusher. Yeah, this is one of the top, like this is one of the most skilled defensive lines, like not just in the Big 12. I would, I would say in college football, just yeah. skill t- talent wise, they're very good. Not very disciplined. Not disciplined yeah. at all. Four outsides. Do, do you want to talk about that for a second? I don't know if yeah, you I noticed w- this when you go back through, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because all season we've seen a lot of, you know, Oklahoma state's been a team that will look over to the sideline, you know, the check, check with me as, as they call it. And then, and then kind of move their offensive round. We've seen that do that a lot recently. We talked about how when they were showing Blaine green and Logan Carter and the diamond, and then basically every time they showed that they were motioning after looking at the sideline, we've also seen Spencer Sanders do the, the big time fake clap a lot this season. And so when he does his normal clap, he's also doing the big wide, hands apart because it's got to look the same as his fake. We've seen him go on two claps, seen him go on three. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but the entire first half they went on one clap. It could have been because the stadium was so loud that, that and you've got Joe, you've got Joe Mahalski in there at center, a little bit more inexperienced guy, but Winfrey started watching and he's seeing Sanders with this huge and he's just going. Yeah. I think he went off sides like nine times. Well, they 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 had five offside penalties in this game. Yeah, I, and, I and seriously think they six. missed. I think they missed it like three or four more times. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, the obvious one is a safety that was blatantly offsides. Yeah. So in the second half, they come out and they start going on two claps, and you see a couple of fake claps in there. Not only does it get a couple more offsides, but it causes. Oklahoma State to go. <laughs> well, so now that I now that I opened this podcast saying it was a coaching masterclass, and we talk about how the difference between one and two claps is enough to get you twenty five extra yards in field position, <laughs> and then you factor in like Oklahoma State just drops eight into coverage, and all of a sudden OU's offense just goes into a turtle shell. Like we'll talk all about that, but it's just like, man, maybe it wasn't a coaching masterclass. Maybe it was just like this was. This was the natural adjustment that Oklahoma State made that Oklahoma did not. So it I want you to go back and watch and tell me if I'm wrong. I think literally every play in the first half is on one clap. But I mean, it it, it felt like OU was was keying on it like way late in that half. And they were and then they started to jump it. And that's when like I don't think the officials really caught on to what was going on because I don't think they had been flagged for any offsides, maybe one before that safety happened. Like mm-hmm. that was when Winfrey jumped for like the first noticeable time, if I remember correctly. Um, so Which I, is I scary if that guy's coming at you full speed before you even have a chance to move. He's a monster. Uh, he's a freak, absolute freak. So, well, anyway, so offensive line where you were kind of going before we, we jumped on into that pass protection not the best but i didn't think not they terrible. were terrible no 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 they're going up against a great defensive line i just just kind of mixing it in with the passing game you have to talk because spencer did have to move around a lot and it was mainly because the tackles were getting beat off the edge but you're not going to see that type of speed every game obviously and you've got guys like 
Preston Wilson and Cole Birmingham, who are, you know, more green tackles than, than some of the ones you've had in the past. Like Tevin Jenkins comes to mind. So right. it's just something, you know, they, they played their best. I thought Joe Mahalski played a pretty good game. Well, Gundy talked about it, said he played pretty well. I, I, it's, it's all you can ask from these guys to go against a defensive line like that. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. And and like it was kind of the same as as it was in in Lubbock, where pass protection didn't stick out to me as a consistent issue. Like it wasn't fantastic. I was more concerned, and we, and we said this in the pregame in 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 last week's podcast that that Oklahoma State, if they were going to have a consistent issue somewhere, it was likely going to be defending Oklahoma's defensive line against the run. And I thought that held up. Like I think we were correct in that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and that's a great point and a great segue because I've been wanting to talk about this. So, you know, I'm for my personnel breakdown that I'm going to put out later on Twitter, I'm counting Blaine Green as a wide receiver. That's what he's listed as on depth, depth chart. He's 30 pounds lighter than all the Cowboy backs, so I'm not going to count him as a Cowboy back. 57 of the total plays, 88% were out of 10 personnel. That wow. is the That is the most – that I can remember since I've been writing about Oklahoma State three or four years ago that they've done 10 personnel, just an insanely high number and kind of tying it back to the run blocking Blaine green is playing awesome. Gundy, Gundy mentioned he hasn't been practicing there for very long, like during the season started practicing there. But when you're going up against this kind of defensive line, you already down to your backup center. You've already had shuffling around at left tackle, right tackle at the beginning of the season, you've got guys there who you didn't even think were going to play before the season started. And then you've got a wide receiver as your cowboy back when one of your best go-to run plays is split zone where you need him on that trap block for the cutback, you're going to take a hit, but you get a benefit in the passing game because you've got Blaine green out there. So it's just, when you're when you you're gonna see it rear its head when you're going up against a defensive line like that. I mean, does that make sense when when you have to use a wide receiver at Cowboy back? No, it, it makes perfect sense. And and again, I just I go back to the the talent and speed that OU has on that defensive front with Perrion Winfrey, Jalen Redmond. I mean, Redmond's healthy, right? Redmond and Perrion Winfrey together is like that's one of the best defensive tackle combos outside of Israel Antoine and Brendan Evers that I've seen in the big 12 in, in quite some time. And then you throw in Nick Benito on the outside that they're, they're a tough unit. And, and really where I, I get kind of excited is, is Oklahoma state gave up one sack Dustin against those guys. And if that's how things are going to go against a defensive line like that, looking ahead against Baylor who did cause Oklahoma state some issues in the past game, last go around in the pass protection game, like that bodes really well to me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You're talking about Redmond and Benito, two guys who PFF has, they just released their first team and second team, all big 12 pro football focus. Both those guys are on the first team. Yeah. So, so you're talking about two of the best defensive players in the big 12, but yeah. So again, no, no knock on Blaine green. I already said on here, he's my favorite player, but I wanted to go back, Cade, real quick to the Cowboy back because I went back and tracked this. Here are the Cowboy back snaps by game. So this is the, the, the Cowboy back with the most snaps in each game. This is how many snaps they played. 37, 60, 55, 64, 76, 68, 49, 36, 48, 50, 52, and 9. 9 in this game. I mean, they completely changed the way they're 
personnel grouping set up on offense. They're not changing their scheme, really. But what? you're putting a wide receiver in at Cowboy back, a 215-pound wide receiver. What does that say, though, about Oklahoma State's ability to adapt? It's insane. It's no, Nobody else is doing things. stuff like that. Nobody no, else, no, not that I have noticed, can, can shift their idea. I mean, Oklahoma State went full – I mean, Kirk Herbstreit said this several times at the beginning of the broadcast. He even said at one point specifically, he said, I thought they were more ball control and defense-oriented. <laughs> He's like That's like verbatim what he said. And it, it stands out to me because it's like, well, one, they were, but two, they can kind of adapt and, and it's, it's almost like a chameleon can just change the color of its skin to its surroundings. Like that's what Oklahoma state's offense seems like they're able to do right now, because like all of a sudden the passing game comes alive. It's just, it's very interesting that they're able to do that. And so you look ahead against Baylor and and whoever else is, is in front of you. And it's like, how do you prepare for a team like that? Right. And and something I wanted to bring up too, because we talked about it on the last podcast. I think it was a listener question, but you kind of, talk, I, I think you kind of, you answered this one, but talking about how Gundy being conservative in Bedlam games, he, right. he definitely, My favorite aired it question. Out. he definitely aired it out in this one. We saw several plays on offense. We haven't seen much, if at all this season, the split zone, Sinte Martin in orbit motion flip reverse. Haven't Nasty. seen that. We, we didn't Nasty. even start seeing Tay Martian go, Tay Martin go in that orbit motion until last week. I, I have so a that's I, completely new. The halfback draws to Jalen Warren. We've seen quarterback draws. We haven't seen the halfback draws. You ran two of them for 14 yards. They both worked. I have a note on that on that orbit screen or orbit flip to to Tay Martin. If you look at it closely, the, and and because it was so like startling to me that they ran that right there and he just ends up walking in. I looked at it. Spencer fakes the handoff and puts the ball like he basically takes one step and it looks like he's going to tuck the ball. He even like maneuvers the ball at the defensive end to make it look like he's about to tuck it and he just tosses it back behind him. And it was like the defense had no clue what was going on and and Sanders sold it unbelievably with the fake handoff and then like the fake maneuver towards the defensive line <laughs> and then back around him to Tay Barton. It was just absolutely no, beautiful execution. You, you broke that down beautifully because think of how many things the defense is looking at there, right? The offensive line is blocking. It was either wide or outside zone. So they're moving one way. The cowboy backs coming across on the trap block for split zone. Warren's running and you think he's probably going to cut back when you see that. So you've got three different things happening there. You've got Tay on the orbit. Then you're talking about Sanders tucking it. They've already ran the zone bluff play that I'm talking about. So he could be tucking it for that. And then he flips it. There's like five different things that could happen right there. And the defense has no idea what's going on. Love that play. Love the option. You and I have talked about how we love, we love when Sanders run the option. It worked out well from there. Speaking of both of those plays with Tay, the Tay Martin touchdown and the option, one of the Cowboy backs who did get some snaps in this game, Quentin Stewart, great blocks on both of those plays, number 82. So shout out to him. We haven't talked about him like at all in this podcast because he hasn't really played. So both of those were awesome. We saw a couple of things in the passing game we haven't seen. So this was honestly one of the first games where I thought we saw some things where I was like, whoa, haven't seen that this season. At all. Hey, that's not not outside zone. But uh, (laughs) – But, so, Kate, I'm trying to look through and see. 
one of the things negative on the offense, 1.9 yards per rush on first down was not great, but they were able to throw it on first down. Well, it was just – it was strange how they were behind the chains and then got ahead of the chains. Like what they were – and you just kind of nailed it. Second down, they seemed to be able to really kind of catch up. Nine yards per play on second down. <laughs> So, well, okay. What is that? I love, How does that I love happen? when I say something as a general idea, and then you've already looked at the number <laughs> to back up what I'm thinking about. I'm like, yeah, you are, man. I, cause I'm like just guessing. And then every time you're like, here, well, here's the number. So I love when you do that. Just keep doing that. Um, <laughs> no, well, Dustin, I mean, what else on the offense? I mean, Brennan Presley, this isn't necessarily offense, but we, we got to shout out that kickoff return. Oh my gosh. So, I'm watching those back and I can't tell I'm not, I'm not huge into knowing special teams blocking schemes, but they definitely saw something they liked in OU's kicking game. Gundy mentioned that earlier in the season, their kicker was bombing them into the end zone. And I don't know if this is a fact, this is just Gundy mentioning it. You know, sometimes he likes to make stuff up, but I believe him. So kicking in the end zone every time, but recently he hadn't been. So that's one thing that sticks out to me. Then he's also talking about how Presley has a two deep rule, two yards deep in the end zone. He lets it go over his head. Anything shorter than that, he can run it out. So that one went about one yard Make deep. Make it five-yard deep rule, but okay, <laughs> I like it. I think they said uh, I think they said it was a 100-yard run, but he caught that about one foot back in the end zone. And honestly, both of those long kick returns he had, he took the same route, same angle, but he didn't really get – he got some good blocking, but it wasn't amazing. It was just – I don't think I don't think OU was ready for it after watching Presley fair catch all those punts. I think OSU was ready for it, knowing he wasn't going to be kicking in the end zone. And I think it just was a perfect storm that worked out for OSU and led to that touchdown. Well, I think you're right that they saw something. And this is a horrible kind of play to describe on a on a audio, you know, format because the, in special teams, there's so much happening and converging to one spot on the field. What I noticed... You, have, you don't wait the all 22, so you can't even see all the no, players. No, it's, it's a horrible thing to try to break down on a podcast. But what I noticed was at one point... So if you're, go, if you're going east to west, the way this play ran, the two key blocks on this play ended up facing north, essentially. So... Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm sorry. They ended up facing south. Like a wall, basically. Yeah, towards the Oklahoma State sideline and basically walled off that entire side of OU's uh, kick coverage uh, unit. And that's why when he breaks that seam, there's nobody on that side of the field because they've all been kind of swallowed up on this one side of the field back here. So it was just a fantastic talking- play. Are you talking about on NCAA football kick return, right? Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much what I'm talking about. Square is is how I remember that one. No, that no, that's a perfect breakdown of that. It we, we had it was just amazing. Presley made some dudes miss as well. He broke through a tackle. I almost passed out in the stadium when that happened and uh gasping for oxygen. A little frightened after that. Had to kind of take a couple breaths. I think I went hands on knees. But well, that was amazing. Well, the perfect elixir for that was the muff punt into the end zone. <laughs> exactly. It was like the antidote, right? We don't have to spend too much time on that one. I will say just, just between me, you, and our audience here, when that happened, I was sitting here with my father-in-law watching the game. I gently tossed my phone to the floor and walked straight to the room and shut the door for just like <laughs> a minute and a half. 
It's like, I need a second because I've seen this movie a thousand times. <laughs> not, yeah, like, was, not a shining moment. That was absolutely insane. Shout out to uh, DeMarco Jones grabbing that. Yeah. You'll hear his name in the future at defensive back. DeMarco Jones. And, and a shout out to my father-in-law for, for sitting through that with me. Yeah, that for, was, not, uh, for not thinking you're the weirdest human being in the world. That was outrageous. <laughs> well, uh, I think, it, Kate, yeah. Kate, just a couple more. We've got not great on third and short, one of five, four yards or less. Can't, you can't have that. Only two screen passes. Um, not a ton of extra blitzers from OU. They do a lot of their damage with their front four. Uh, but like we said, OSU's O-line for what they are held up pretty well. Spencer, I only had him for the two turnover-worthy plays on PFF, but I think that one to Presley probably could have been thrown in there as well. OU started out really man-heavy at the beginning of the game. Then they started dropping into zone, and then they started mixing it, how we talked about, and that confused them a few times. Well, you, uh, and Justin, then one of the oh, – I'm sorry. sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. You said something there that just jumped out at me. In my rewatch, that first touchdown pass to Tay Martin – you, you said how uh, OU gets a lot of pressure with their front forward. So they're dropping seven into coverage all the time. Well, they were in zone in that in that touchdown pass. And and Woody Washington just lets Tay just kind of float right on past him. It was like nothing spectacular. Like that OU secondary has some issues because there nothing spectacular happened there whatsoever. And really all it is is Tay Martin floating and, and the corner not picking him up whatsoever. Just a bad great, defense, bad defense. Great and a dime. job by Sanders too, though, just releasing that instantly when he sees its zone. He looks to the middle of the field and sees those safeties dropping deep straight back and just fires it. And yep. I don't even think he looked. It no. honestly and it was a dime. Threw it. it was a great throw. Uh, oh, and yeah, no worries. I'm interrupting me. I'm just, I'm just rambling now. But then, oh, <laughs> the only other play I wanted to call out, OU over Blaine Green, because he's the tight end, Cowboy back, H back. When he split out wide, they had the safety over him about 10 yards off the ball, and Sanders hit him, I think, three or four times on a quick out route. That's just that's just good coaching, recognizing what's going on by Sanders and great job on those routes by Blaine Green because OU had no defense for that, unless, unless that corner is going to sit there and cover two. But I don't think OU ran cover two very many times. So that's just seeing that on film, knowing they're going to have – a safety not in man coverage, nobody in man coverage over that tight end H back spot and using Blaine Green like he should as a receiver, getting him the ball. Uh, it's it's a perfect breakdown, man. I the one thing I wanted to shout out, uh, the one that I had obviously was that uh, Spencer option keeper. What a scamper! I mean, and that he was goes. Amazing. You kind of talk, you talked about this a little bit earlier. His his tendency to bounce outside. It looked like initially in this run, that's what he was going to do, and he stuck his foot in the ground and ran straight at the goalpost, basically, and and ends up putting his hand on a helmet and he's gone. I mean, it was the perfect. Uh, it was like somebody told him, "Hey, you see this? Stick your foot in the ground and go north." And he did it, and he scores. His his ability as a runner is. I feel like it's underrated, but I. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just not talking to the right people. Well, but. that's that's a pretty nasty touchdown run from a quarterback. You don't see yeah, that. that. No, no, not many quarterbacks can do that. No, it, and and throw it like he can. Yeah, right. Uh, it's fantastic. Well, any other thoughts on the offense before we move on? Because we have a lot to get to. No, I'm good. So if we went a little long, my bad. <laughs> no. I was very excited. No, a lot of, lot of options to consider. And speaking of options, let's hear from a, a word from our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. 
All right, big day for the Feels Like 45 podcast in the 1012 Network as we welcome a brand new sponsor, Homefield Apparel, into the family of sponsors for this podcast in the 1012 Network. I mean, if you're not familiar with Homefield Apparel by now, uh, you should be. You can follow them on Twitter, uh, but you you got to check out the website. They've got vintage college sports apparel with over 100 teams. You can get t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. And again, that's over 100 college teams with new ones added all the time. More importantly for you guys, listeners of this podcast, if I know my demo, you're Oklahoma State fans. And they've got a great selection of Oklahoma State stuff on the website right now. And we, on this podcast, have a promo code, FEELS12, that'll get you 15% off your first order with Homefield Apparel. It's correct. I'm not lying to you. 15% off your first order, FEELS12. Use that promo code and know that all orders over $100 get free shipping. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The website's got some unbelievable stuff. I've got my eyes on this Pistol Pete sweater, uh, a little bit of crew neck. I'm, I'm thinking gray for the fall. may look pretty dope. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. So anyway, do not forget to use that promo code FEELS12. I mean, 50% off a t-shirt, sweater, hoodie of that quality. You can't go wrong. I mean, I kind of looking at this Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, Tulane Green Wave. They got some good stuff there. Don't miss out. Don't hesitate. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code FEELS12 to get yourself 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping. Okay, Dustin. Uh, I mean, the offense obviously was was a huge storyline on, on Saturday in Stillwater. But what about that defense, man? Interesting game. I mean, it was interesting live because it's like, it was the tale of two halves. I don't need to repeat that. We've already talked about that a little bit, but what did you notice in your rewatch? Like, did that stick out even more so to you? The second half, I mean, punt, punt, fumble, punt, 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 turnover on downs, turnover on downs. Those are OU's drives. <laughs> can you, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that one more time for, for our Let audience? Let me hit you with it again. Punt, punt, fumble, punt, 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 Turnover on downs, turnover on downs. We need our guy, Adam Michaels, to hit, hit I was, that sound bite. I was literally going to say that. Literally <laughs> going to say that. Shout out to Adam, by the way, not to completely go off topic, but we haven't shouted him out yet on the pod. He made our intro music. We love it. We hope you guys <laughs> do too. He's the man. Doesn't have a Twitter or we would tag him, but I'll shout him out on here. I do think we, we have some additions to make. Uh, there were some all-timer clips this weekend that need to be thrown on there (laughs) but but yeah back just back to the defense in general kennedy brooks was able to run for 139 yards but there were some long ones caleb williams would have negative net yards rushing without that 56 yard run it all around i thought the defense played great you're going up against a lincoln riley coached offense they're going to do some things in the first two quarters. You you hit on it probably five or six different times last week talking about how you just got to weather that first storm. And I thought Oklahoma State did a great job of it. Well, and and that's kind of what I took in. When, when the score is 24-24 at halftime and you factor in everything that took place, like Oklahoma State really managed that game quite well. Like they they should have been up. In a lot of people's minds, frankly, if you scroll down Twitter, everybody was was pissed about the situation. Like, you know, in the rough in the punter, that's a that's a backbreaker. That's basically another turnover. The turnover at the end Our of the guy half, too. Jump oh, ball. oh, I mean, that was that was bad. Basically, two turnovers in that first half of that 
end in, in sooner points where the lead could have been as much as 14. So I get the frustration, but as you just said, I have this like very deep belief about Lincoln Riley. Like he, I don't know if it's, it's a conservative issue, but I do know after you get out of that first quarter with him, if you're in the game, you're actually in the game. And so when everybody's freaking out about it being 24s, I'm like, I mean, this is a tie game. I like our defense a lot still, and we're the home team. So let's see what happens. And, and that's what happened, but you can't let them bury you early. And I mean, credit, credit to them. I mean, we talked about this off air and I think this was a major talking point for me was that Riley obviously identified some situations in, in Oklahoma state's defensive scheme where they were going to be able to use their H backs. Because if you look down the list, their three leading receivers were H backs, uh, Jeremiah Hall, Austin Stogner, and Braden Willis, all three, that H back spot who all three on their leading on their big play of the day were split out wide. So they were getting an H back on a corner or a smaller safety and they were beating them one-on-one. And so uh, you give them credit for that, but where the, where the cream rises to the top is Jim Knowles ability to see that. And his ego doesn't get in the way. And he says, well, we can't keep doing that. And if we do this, we're going to win. And they drop eight, drop seven. And, and Caleb Williams, as we talked about last week, stands there, moves around a little bit, and pats the ball a lot, and then gets tackled. It, it, was, it was a very different tale of two halves and, frankly, was one that I wasn't all that surprised to see. Yeah, and, Kate, just to kind of read your mind again, those tight end H-backs, Hall, Stogner, and Willis – in the first half, eight catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns. In the second half, two catches for 20 yards. Well, in that – yeah, go ahead, Dustin. Sorry. And I, I was just going to say, so they're what you talked about, they're getting these one-on-one matchups, but not all of it was in man coverage. The way they were running the routes when OSU's dropping into cover three, you're getting one-on-one with those corners because they have those deep halves. The throw to Willis was in zone. The big one, the big one to Hall, that was just busted coverage. No one was even near Hall on the Oklahoma State defense. That was just literally straight up busted coverage, that long one he broke. The one, the one to Stogner did look like man, uh, going back and watching again. It's hard, sometimes hard to tell without the all 22, but that did look like man coverage there. What Knowles did, and he said it in his presser, it's not that he went to more zone. They were actually playing a lot of zone in the first half. He started bracketing when the guy was in it when the tight end was split wide like you said in the inside spot so what that means is harper or rodriguez will come over and they will help on that slot receiver along with the safety so you're basically double teaming him in between zero and ten yards you're always going to get a hit on him whether that's oliver or martin kind of shucking him when he comes off the line at the h-back spot if he's in if he's in that inside slot receiver spot you're going to have Harper try to get his hands on him. You're not going to let him release all the way upfield without somebody, whether it be a safety, whether it be Jason Taylor, Tanner McAllister, getting in their way. So it's not that he played – they were playing a lot of zone in the first half. They just changed the way they were playing zone, which you alluded to, dropping dropping seven, dropping eight. When they're dropping eight, this had to have been the most I've seen Brock Martin and Colin Oliver drop in coverage by far this season. Then you're, you're chilling Malcolm Rodriguez, Harper as a spy sometimes on Caleb Williams. 
just a lot of stuff you haven't seen from Oklahoma State on film. They've done, they've dropped eight. You've seen the six guys at the line of scrimmage and three of them back out, like I talked about earlier that OU was doing. So you've seen them drop eight, but this was the most they've done it. And I don't think OU had, they had no counter. We talked no. about it off air. They wanted to go 12 personnel, 13 personnel with all these tight end H-backs and try to get them in these matchups through the air. Well, And they didn't have a counter punch. Well, they and had OU no, adjusted. they had OU no adjusted. They had no counter through the air. Their only counter all day was the counter, was the counter run. That's all they had in the second half was, was that GT counter or just a, a, a counter with Kennedy Brooks. That is it. I mean, they really uh, – it, it's like their entire playbook just melted in front of them <laughs> because they had nothing else. Speaking of that GT counter play, there's one play in the second half. I'll put it on Twitter. I've never seen – OSU line up on defense like this. I may have missed one, but it's, I believe it's Jernigan at tackle. He's a little bit shaded off the center on the left side in between the center and the guard. Then you have Tyler Lacey on the other side, all the way outside the tackle with his hand in the ground. So those two are hand in the ground. Then you have Oliver and Martin, right? A little bit shifted down from Jernigan on that left side off the edge, standing right next to each other, standing up. So OU ran that GT counter. So the tackles from the left side pulled around and everyone else down blocks. They didn't have anybody to down block because Oliver and Martin just went straight at the quarterback and the running back. And Lacey is the only one who anyone could block. And then Jernigan, Oliver and Martin are all there to make the tackle before the running, like as the running backs getting the ball, as Brooks yeah. is getting the ball. Jim Knowles is a madman. That, and that's yeah. a, such a difficult play to defend. And I would say that was the best Oklahoma ran that play with consistency all year. It was, they looked like vintage OU. It was like, this is, of course, this is when they finally are able to find success on the ground. But that was all they had. And Oklahoma State, like, once they got into that second half, they really kind of took that away from them. And I said that was their counter, but they didn't even really have that in the second half. It was really what they were able to do in the first half. Yeah. And shout out to the defensive line again. Gundy said this was the first time in between series, between the third and fourth quarter, when the D came off the field, the defensive line, and he could tell they were exhausted from chasing around Williams. I went to PFF just to look. Tyler Lacey, most snaps he's played this season. Israel Antoine, most snaps he's played this season. Brennan Evers, most snaps he's played this season. Walter Scheid, most snaps. Martin and Oliver, second most each. And they got better as the game went on. These guys are monsters. Not human. Not it's human. insane. And you've got Sione C. You've got Jane and Jernigan rotating in there. Those guys played well. But – it's just insane what this defensive line has done this season as a unit, all of them, not just the three starters, all six of them that rotate in and then Martin and Oliver, just absolutely insane. Oh, you did not score on this defense in the second half. And these guys played the most snaps they've played all season. But just look at like OSU's ability to, to run to the football and tackle. Like I, I would say that OSU consistently had the most trouble on that on that GT counterplay. Um, it has historically given them some trouble, just like it's given the rest of the Big 12 trouble. Um, but I'm looking at the rundown right here. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, 11 tackles, five solo. Devin Harper, 10 tackles, seven, to uh, seven solo. Jared Bernard Converse, nine tackles, six solo. Jason Taylor, six solo. Christian Holmes, five. It's like they are an unbelievable tackling defense. 
Like they it, that if it if it's one broken tackle, it's just one. Oh yeah, it it's insane how good they are at tackling, especially with some of the deep Oklahoma State defenses of past years, just some of the missed tackles we've seen. But Rodriguez and Harper, you mentioned 21 tackles, also four tackles for loss, four <laughs> QB hurries, and three sacks between the two of them. Yeah. We're I, I'm gonna miss them, Dustin. A lot. They're so good. Uh, as a team, seven QB hurries, six sacks. They pressured Williams a lot too with extra guys. I think PFF has it at on 12 of his attempts, he was blitzed. They pressured him a lot. And they actually did really well on first and second down at times, especially as the game went on. It was 9.7 average yards to go for OU. And they were one of seven on third and nine or longer. So as the game went on, OSU was just able to win first and second down and just kind of dominate the game. Yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable performance. Uh, Dustin, I've, I've got a question for you. What was, to you, what was the best defensive play of that game? This, is a, this might be a trick question because <laughs> I've got it. it. It might be the best defensive play in, to me, in the last five years. The tackle on Williams run? Yeah, has to be. Yeah, it's it's got to be that. It's either that or Colin Oliver army crawl sack. Well, and that one that one might be number two because it's like that dude's on all fours. But but what Devin Harper did like a on that game. on that play um, to to miss Caleb Williams and overshoot it, what ended up being about seven or eight yards, and never even miss a beat. I mean, he hits the ground and pops right back up. One, that's how they coach it. I don't know if you ever ran that drill play in football. I remember that one. Hit the ground and go. Well, that's what he did. And if not for him, I mean, who knows what happens? We, we end up giving the ball back to uh, OU after that drive, but that was with a, a minute and a half left. I mean, that was a uh, an all-timer, frankly, an all-timer. Yeah, it, it was just an insane tackle. And Gundy mentioned that you kind of have to tackle Williams around his legs because he's so slippery. And he's got such good body. And control. I don't understand so, how he's, he's a big guy and he's, he he's pretty athletic, but he does have some elusiveness to him that I didn't uh, expect. Yeah. It was, it was actually pretty impressive to watch because there should have been you said six sacks. There probably should have been 10. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, Oliver had his hand on him multiple times and just wasn't able to bring him down because Will Williams is just a great body control. And like you said, very athletic. I thought, uh, I thought the defensive backs played well. Oh, yeah. Tanner McAllister, one, I thought Tanner another McAllister played freak well. play at the end of that game. I thought Bernard Converse, he had a couple throws get on him, but he, he had, I think he had two pass breakups. He got beat deep on one, but it was incomplete. So can't really fault him for that one. <laughs> right. Hol- Holmes is just a monster. And yeah. he, wa- he wants the ball thrown at him. Well, like he, he, needs, he needs quarterbacks to go at him, and they won't do it. He, he needs it to stay engaged, but I mean, both uh, Jerick Bernard Converse and Christian Holmes named to all big 12 this year. It's just like, you got that level of cornerback play when you had, when you think about what you have inside with Rodriguez and Harper, Colin Oliver, Brennan Evers, Israel Antoine, Brock Martin. I mean, you can just go down the freaking list. It's, it's unbelievable how deep this defense is. Yeah. We should just mention that now, but the PFF first team, all big 12 consists of Jaden Jernigan, Malcolm Rodriguez, Jarek Bernard Converse, Christian Holmes, and Colby Hoggrell Peel. That the whole team's Oklahoma State. 
Colin Oliver's on the second team. The the D it's just it, they probably should have more, it probably should be the entire Oklahoma State defense. Colin Oliver, team. true freshman, is on the All Big Twelve second team. Just, like, just absolutely insane. Did you know outside of Emmanuel Ogba, Colin Oliver is the only. Uh, I, I, I want to get this right, but it's within the last, I mean, it might be the only Gundy era defensive player outside of Emmanuel Ogba to have over 10 sacks in a season. That's he's in, he's He's, in that rarefied air. If I missed that stat, I'll correct it on my Twitter, but he's in that level of, of a conversation right now with Emmanuel Ogba. He's so good. And on, on that last drive uh, that we just talked about that where Williams had a chance to win it, they went with the Martin Oliver both of them at the same time, three down, look, drop an eight. When you can drop eight and rush Martin and Oliver off the edge, I think you're going to be fine Yeah, against well, pretty much anybody. Well, which, which bodes really well when you consider the fact that Brock Martin's coming back, Colin Oliver's coming back, and oh, just a guy by the name of Trace Ford who's <laughs> been on the sidelines all year. And it's ridiculous. I, I just – I love what Knowles was doing in this game. I love the corner blitzes. We've seen that a lot from – OSU this season, they did a lot to Baylor in that first game. I'm trying to – I just don't even we, – I don't we know this, how much more praise we can give. I, I, I love them so much. They're so awesome. I, I they love when well again. I love when we reach this point of the podcast where we just run out of stuff to, to, to say. And, and it's a compliment to that defense because it's just like, well, we've said it for eight weeks in a row now. I mean, it's they are – they com- – continue to surprise you know if they don't if they don't get the roughing the kicker if they don't get some of that good field position who knows what the score of this game is going to be because I, I talked to you about it off air when I go back and watch the game I watch the offense and then I watch the defense or I watch the defense and then I watch the offense I don't watch the whole game together so just watching the defense and not seeing you know the intercept not you know not in the flow of the game it just looked like the defense dominated even even in the first half yeah you know there was those couple of big plays but outside of that not much you know we we talked about I went through all the number one receivers that have been shut down by the Oklahoma State defense and I know they got some yards from the tight ends but Marvin Mims their number one receiver one catch for four yards and he was only targeted twice yeah who was on him all day uh just those Two first team uh, all big 12 cornerbacks, yeah, right? And they don't want to, nobody wants to throw it at Holmes. Why, why would you? Why would you? He's too strong. Fat, he's, he's such, he's such a smart cornerback. And then the fact that he is also very athletic and strong makes him basically the complete package there. Yeah. Well, I, um, I do run out of things to say about this defense. The one that, um, you know, kind of prevails for me is like, how far could it take this team? I mean, the offense is, is turning, has turned a corner, I would say. They are not the, the offense we saw uh, against Boise State, even Baylor earlier this year, which is where we're headed in this podcast. But um, I, I wonder how far it can go. I mean, are they going to play an offense, you know, and I start to wonder, I mean, you know, rank number five in the college football playoff, who are the teams that could be in their path? Um, they're, Baylor, I'm sorry, Oklahoma is probably one of the more dynamic offenses that they're going to face, regardless of what happens the rest of this season. So you should feel really good is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that's a great point. This defense has shown they can play. 
they've obviously they've gone against a ton of amazing running backs. The quarterback play, you know, maybe you could see some better quarterbacks, but because the I think the Big 12 maybe is a little down this year in that aspect, but the running backs and just the overall offenses, the wide receiver talent they've seen, and they just haven't really let anybody do anything. Yeah. No, and and they they continue to impress, and um, you know it's it's an interesting segue into into this next week, and I don't want to get the cart before the horse because we may have some more stuff to talk about. But you look at Baylor's quarterback situation, right? <laughs> um, who's playing? Is it is it Gary Bohannon? Is it Blake uh, Shapen? We don't know, but if it is that Blake Shapen kid, we'll talk about this. But yeah, we can get into it now. Well, we might as well. I want to do. I do want to send it over uh, real quick if we can uh, before we do that to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors. There's a specific set of rules I live by, and one of those is that no tailgate is complete without a grill. No tailgate of mine, at least. And I know that no grill is complete without Gridiron Metalworks. Uh, these guys are fantastic. If you haven't heard of them, take a look. They do great work. They do collegiate-branded grill grates, griddles, flower pots, stainless steel bookends, coasters, can coolers, and it's all in Oklahoma State school colors. I don't know if you've been walking through the store before. You see something with the Oklahoma State logo, but it really resembles the suit that Lloyd wore in Dumb and Dumber. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even close. But these guys at Gridiron Metalworks, they nail the color. And with their products, you know, with their grill grates, you can sear your steak, burgers, brats, veggies, and they give you the perfect Pistol Pete mark every time. Plus, in addition to all that, this is the perfect gift to shop for. I know we got the holidays coming up right around the corner, and you probably know somebody in your life who you need something to buy something for, whether it's a boss, family member, coworker, whatever it may be. I bet you know who they like, what team they support, where they went to school, and I bet they're a Big 12 school. And if they are... Every single Big 12 school has a product through Gridiron Metalworks. So go check them out. Um, these are high quality, custom cut, made in the United States. And right now, when you use the promo code FEELS12, you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a fantastic deal. Um, I don't know if my wife's listening. I want one of these. Speaking of you know, somebody that's hard to purchase for, that's me. I know I do not have a Pistol Pete grill grate on my grill, but I wish I did. And uh, maybe she's standing outside the door listening to me. I could I could only help. But again, right now, use the promo code FEELS12 and you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a very generous offer and very thankful for that. I'm wondering if I can use my own promo code. I'll have to run that up the flagpole. Uh, the kicker, all orders over 100 bucks get free shipping. And so if you're a K-State fan, a West Virginia fan, uh, and you're looking for a grill grate, griddle, or a unique metal home good for your collection, just visit gridironmetal.com and use our promo code FEELS12 for 15% off your first order. All right, Dustin, sorry for that hard ad break. We're really good at that. We're really good at getting <laughs> way too deep in the conversation and then having to throw it to our sponsor. So <laughs> oh, I feel like every time we talk about the defense, we get like so hyped up and then we like don't know where to go after that. Well, both of our, and, and the beauty of technology is I can see Dustin. He can see me as we do this from our own respective houses. 
my face is red. His face is red. Yeah, I like, get way too excited. Yeah, we're, I mean, Dustin's actually wearing shoulder pads right now. He he has put <laughs> shoulder pads on. So it's very, very interesting what this Oklahoma State I'm defense ready to go. Yeah, it does to us. But, I mean, let's just talk about it. I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. I mean, this is the biggest game in Oklahoma State football history. Period. Yeah. Period. Here, I mean, here it is. This is the one. You cannot get ahead of yourself. You cannot see that number five college football playoff ranking, which came out a little bit earlier before we started recording. You can't get ahead of yourself. You've got to go in and beat Baylor. I think because we beat OU, people may be underestimating what Baylor can do. And Baylor's defense is really, really good. I, I think we should talk about the offense first since we, since you had a nice segue there talking about shaping and Bohan. Well, it wasn't a nice segue. It just was a segue. <laughs> but – this, this is it, and you just cannot underestimate this Baylor team going into this game, and I don't think this Oklahoma – I know this Oklahoma State defense will not. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think there's a lot of talk about that, Dustin, of, of Oklahoma State potentially overlooking Baylor. If I take Mike Gundy at his word, he talked about this in the post-game press conference. After beating OU – um, 20 minutes after fans have overtaken the field and he says, we got to go do this again. So if this team is as veteran, uh, as we know, they are, if they are as savvy as we know, they are, if they're as smart as we think they are, um, hearing your head coach talk about that, that early, uh, makes me feel really good that this team is going to at least have been given the right message all week. Yeah. That, and that it's not, it's not that everything is right in front of you. It's not that it's the biggest game in school history. I don't want those things being said. What I do want being said is you go do what you've done every week to get you to this point, and you're going to be a champion. No, I completely agree. And great bringing that up because I also had a note down that Gundy brought it up on his radio show, yeah. talking about how he was he's literally thinking about Baylor right after that game. Cause that's been their mindset on all year. Just win the next one. You're in the, he keeps, he keeps talking about it. They've basically been in the playoffs now for a few weeks, because if they lose, they have no shot really at anything. And if they win, they could still get into the college football playoffs. So he wants his team to have that kind of mindset that every week for the past few weeks has been a do or die. And re I mean, really it's a whole season thing, but just to focus even more on it now, because it's true. It's, it's basically like the, this is NCAA tournament style because once they kind of got going and got in that playoff mix, you keep winning, you can get in. And now really they can get in there with this win. It's just like, it, it's a like, like Janice from friends. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I am, I mean, I watched, did you watch the college football playoff ranking show this tonight? Recording this Tuesday I just night. normally, I just normally check it on Twitter. I well I hate to, be to be I, I candid. I let you tell me about it. No, to be candid, I, that was the first time all season I had tuned in live. I typically just catch it on my phone. Like I typically just catch like the the tweet about it where Oklahoma State ends up because I think it's a sham, frankly. But like this is this is it. This is like big boy stuff. Like you are the you're in the you know, the ESPN montage of, of five teams, like playing for four spots, like, like, holy crap. So as well, as fans, like you and I can get caught up in that, but 
on the field that that can't happen. It won't happen. I do believe that it won't. And if you just boil this down and we did this kind of last week, I think you do it again this week. If you boil this down, you, you remove the um, external circumstances, which, which is hard to do there. These are, you know, 18 to 23, 24 year old uh, kids and men. So you can't just remove that altogether. But if you just look at these teams, X's and O's wise uh, on paper, I think this really is going to come down to who's playing quarterback for Baylor. Yeah. So I don't know if you got to watch last week, but Baylor played Texas Tech. They beat them 27-24 in an absolutely disgusting game. I would suggest <laughs> not going back and watching it if you haven't. But Baylor made a whole show. They had Garrett, they had Bohannon. They have him dressed out. He's out there taking snaps with the first-team offense in their walkthroughs before the game. And then they roll out there with Chapin. I know from what I've heard, Oklahoma State is practicing like it's going to be Bohannon. But – I just do not know why Baylor would go with Bohannon if his hamstring is hurt enough to where they couldn't play him last week in a game that could have messed up their whole season if they lose to Texas Tech. It, hamstrings are very, very tough to play through, and he will be extremely limited in the one thing, not one thing, but in one of his greatest assets at his 223-pound 6'3 frame is he is a great runner. He's, he's, I don't think he's as elite as like a Spencer Sanders, Caleb Williams, but he's probably the next tier below. He is a great runner and he is a great designed QB runner, not just scrambling, but I just, I think it's going to be shaping. Maybe, you know, Aranda said that Bohannon's going to be practicing. They're going to evaluate him. I just don't know. It sounded like he tore it at first. I don't know how right. he could be back this fast. Well, I I'm with you. And Again, I think when we make our predictions for this game, this is this is going to be a if Bohannon's playing like and and kind of projecting his his actual health. Like if he plays, he's not 100 percent. And if Shapin plays, I think you might have seen what I saw on on his game film, which is uh, some talent. But uh, it, to me, it rings a lot of familiar bells um, that we've seen this season. Yeah, and we were Caden. I'll probably mention this later, but we're probably going to run out of time to be able to get to all of the Twitter questions. But I did see one on there that asked about, and I'll go back. I'll go back and shout out later when I pull this up. But asking about the differences between Bohannon and Shapin. So Shapin is a skilled guy. He's a baseball player as well. He came to Baylor to play both, and now he's just focusing on football. Louisiana guy from Evangel Christian. They produce a lot of good players in Shreveport. He's got a really, really quick release, which is interesting to watch. But he's just barely getting away with things because kind of like we've seen some of the downfalls with Caleb Williams, some of the Chandler Morris, some of the Donovan Smiths, just having trouble because they're young reading these college football defenses and especially defenses like in Oklahoma State and he got away with it against Tech a few times, kind of firing it in there, even though it might not have been still the right read, but he gets it in there just quick enough underneath the Texas Tech zone. But I counted three times that the ball should have been picked off, and one of them, honestly, they had to review it. I think it still may have been an interception and a fumble after watching it back. But it, if the guy doesn't 
catch it and then fumble it. The Baylor receiver makes a kind of nice play, kind of bumping him as well. But he wasn't going to tackle him. That would have been a pick six, and I believe that was in the second half. That would have completely changed the game. One thing that I noticed, I didn't necessarily notice the, the quick delivery with him. It was not much ability or desire to get off of his first and second reads. Like, and again, this is, this is not a knock. I'm, I'm breaking this down from the standpoint of how does Oklahoma state win this game? Uh, if, if Shapin's playing, I look at what he was doing against Texas tech. He, he did not do a whole lot Um that scares me through the air. He has a good arm, makes some good throws at that corner route that he threw about 35 yarder going into the end zone was, was really nice. Um, but that's not coming off of your first read. Like that's the designed route there. And, and really every kind of big throw he had was to the designed route. So there was not a whole lot of improvisation that would scare you like making an off schedule play, which if, if you look back, the quarterback that gave Oklahoma State the most trouble consistently, you could argue, is Caleb Williams, and he made a holy boatload of off-schedule plays. So if you're going to beat this defense consistently, I think you have to be very good at that. Yeah. I don't think you can just be vanilla and go straight at the defense. No, I 100% agree. And Tech was Tech was begging Shapin to beat, him deep, to beat them deep. They were – Take it basically what their safeties were doing was just standing there off the snap. You know, some a lot of times the deep safety will kind of drop back off the snap to get a better look at the ball, or he's dropping into zone coverage. The, these guys were just kind of standing flat footed, ready to run up on the run. And Tech was selling out on the run. Baylor ran the ball if you take out the sack 49 times for 183 yards, only 3.7 yards per carry. One of, one of the best rushing teams in the Big 12, a lot of. You know, some of that's credit to Bohannon, but they were begging Shapin to throw it deep over him, and Baylor just didn't want to do it. I mean, 17 of his 34, so 50% of his passes were from 0 to 20 yards just right over the middle. 14 of those were from 0 to 10. He was not comfortable throwing it outside the hashes. He, like you said, he had a couple deep balls, and really the only thing that they were able to get going against Texas Tech was they would split it out into five wide, and they would get Ebner, their running back, matched up on a linebacker. It actually matched up on Colin Schooler, who I don't know if you guys remember us talking about him on the last podcast for Tech, their linebacker. Got him matched up on him, and they hit him four times for 118 yards and one touchdown. They actually tried to do it to Oklahoma State as well. He got matched up on Ben Kapinski, but it was a bad throw by Bohannon. But that was, that was really all they could do. They hit Estrada a couple of times, and other than that, they weren't able to run it. Shapin they're running the zone read like they do with Bohannon, but you could tell he was, he was told not to keep the ball because there were, I don't know, 10 times he could have kept it and gained like five or six yards just handing off every time. And I'm pretty sure that's not, it's not even a read. I think they told him hand the ball off, but we're not going to completely change our offense because right. we don't want you running that play. Cause that's a Bohannon specialty. You saw him kill Iowa state and other teams with, with that stuff. So I, I just don't think I don't think Shapin's dynamic enough to go against the Stevens. And if they bring Bohannon out there, the only reason they even gained yards against Oklahoma State in the second half is because he ran it. Right. He started running it in the third quarter, and that's the only reason they were able to even have any successful drives. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of where this boils down to. Again, 
who is playing quarterback. So is if it's Bohannon, you're going to get a, a probably less mobile version of him where a good arm – I think Bohannon, like I, I've watched a lot of him this year. I think I probably underestimated him as a quarterback. He's like, got a big arm. Big arm. Um, I – I kind of look at him as like a two years from now, Donovan Smith. Like we were talking about Donovan Smith being a big, like plodding runner, big arm. I think those two guys are much more alike than I probably had considered. And like, he's, he's just a Bohannon is a big athletic, tough running quarterback who has a big arm and can make pretty much every throw on the field. So I probably undersold him in the beginning of this season. However, if he is not 100%, which he will not be with a bum wheel, that takes away really a whole dimension of what he does well. And then at that point, it's like, do you just throw Shapen out there because he's the healthier guy and could at least, you know, elude pressure if he's playing well? I think that may be the way they go. Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. And the the good thing for Oklahoma State is I didn't really see a, a ton of changes in Baylor's offense from Shapen out there. Maybe a little bit less RPOs, but Bohannon's actually been pretty good at some of the RPOs that they do. But, you know, what they want to do is their wide zone running game, really similar to what Oklahoma State likes to do with their outside zone and have that set up the play action passes for Bohannon. And there were a few open ones against Oklahoma State last time that he missed. So Oklahoma State's going to be able to prepare for Baylor's scheme. The only real difference is Bohannon is such – Shapen can move. Like I sure. said, he's a two sport athlete that got came to Baylor to play both baseball and football at the same time. Like this kid is athletic and he can move a little bit, but he's, you know, a buck 90, not very tall. He he's not going to be able to consistently run the football against Oklahoma state. Even if he does keep it a few times, once he gets hit a couple of times, especially if Bohannon can't go, I mean, what are you doing? Baylor? You're going to risk him to get hurt, especially if Bohannon can't go. So I, I just don't think he's going to be much. I don't think either one is really going to be much of a threat on the ground. And if they're unable to do that, I mean, Kate, I just brought it up. Baylor's drives in the first half last time against Oklahoma State. Punt, 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 punt. They had one drive, two drives go that weren't three and outs. Two drives in the first half. In the second half, they come out, they finally start, Bohannon didn't run the ball, scramble or design run until the third quarter. They finally start running the ball a little bit with Bohannon. It opens up things a little bit more and he's able to take some shots. And that's the only reason they scored. In the running game, they had two runs go over 10 yards. One of them, again, all their wide zone plays got absolutely dominated by Oklahoma State's defense. They, they had the, again too, uh, just yeah, frankly. Yeah, they had the toss sweep, the truck sweep where the play side tackle pulls. They didn't pull alignment on any other play. That one went for, I think, I think that was the big play that went for the, the touchdown. And then the other big run is Abram is lined up in the fullback spot and they handed it to him in an eye formation. Baylor never does that. So their two big runs were on gimmick plays. Yeah. Oh gosh, I hate <laughs> this. This only makes me. I was already feeling pretty good about this, just because we we've seen this game before. We uh, and again, it, it's a common opponent. We've already seen this team. So, does it go the exact same way? 
I, I think if Spencer Sanders plays a cleaner game, this game, like on paper, like Oklahoma State's five and a half point favorites on paper, this does not, to me, it's not that close. Now, I think Baylor's a good football team. Don't get me wrong. I just think Oklahoma State, it's a it's a strength against their weakness. If they and they're frankly, it's a strength against what they like to do. Like they're at that outside zone. Um, they like to attack on the on the vertical shots, but they don't really do it a whole lot with their with their receivers. Like they it just doesn't fit it in my mind what the picture of success looks like against Oklahoma State's defense. No, I completely agree. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna see, I think either quarterback, you're gonna see the same thing from what I watched in that Texas Tech game. And then I went back and watched our game as well. You're gonna see mesh, which we've talked about on here, where the receivers cross, they try to create that rub, that pick. You're gonna see wide cross, you're gonna see a few RPOs. They like that zone hitch RPO, they like the slant RPO. You're gonna see them do play action and take a, take a couple of deep shots and and grimes is a great offensive oh, coordinator. Yeah. He's He'll up in Boyle's award as well. He He's going to scheme some things up. I just don't think he has a ton to work with. And, and Cade, OSU was so aggressive against Baylor last time. In the Texas Tech game, we talked about how they went three deep safeties. They kind of just were like, hey, we're going to stop your running game with our defensive line. Well, against Baylor last time, they played a ton of man. They had their, they went a lot of single high. They had a lot of safeties, a lot of linebackers near the ball. They blitzed the corner a bunch. I mean, the cornerbacks were one of the main reasons. Holmes and Bernard Converse were setting the edge on the run, not letting Baylor get anything. They, they were forcing them to bring that wide zone cutback back inside, right to Malcolm, right to Devin Harper. They could not break anything. It was just no chance that was happening all day. So I think Baylor maybe tries to do a couple of things to play with that if Oklahoma State gets that aggressive again. But Oklahoma State's defensive backs were just camping out against the run. Baylor didn't protect well. Couldn't hit any pass plays. They had some false starts. I mean, it's just the only thing they were able to do was hit Drew Estrada on a couple of plays out of the slot up the field. And I think really only two of those, one of them was 40 yards. He only had 88 total. So it wasn't well, like they one really of them was a, that bad. A, a very poor play from the cornerback on that. Just mistimed his jump. He was in position, might have picked it, it off. Corey Black. Yeah, yeah. just might have picked it off. But like, and and really, I, I remember that game for from Baylor's perspective as being really like two successful plays. One was that deep post route in the fourth quarter from Bohannon to Tyquan Thornton. They hit on that one well. Got Jarrett Menard Converse out in single coverage, which you just don't see very much. Um, and then they hit that toss play where where Colby Harville Peel is just in the wrong hole, or else it might have been blown up, and instead it goes for a 55-yard touchdown. So that that game was more simple even than I remembered it after having gone back and watched it this weekend. So uh, it's, it's it going to be interesting. It was complete. And, Cade, one thing to note as well, our guy Brock Martin didn't even play. Oh. Ben Kapinski. Ben Kapinski played 31 snaps in that game. Well, that seems important. Mark that one down, folks. Yeah, I, just the absolute dominant. This was one of the games I talked about earlier when we were talking about the OU game. When you when I watched this one, just the defense, it was almost laughable how dominant it was. Yeah, I remember it that way, and when I rewatched it, I thought the same thing. Yeah, so. I. I don't have anything else on that side of the ball. Well, let's just get to it. I mean, what, what? let's do this. What's your prediction here? 
And then I've got another question for you before we go to break. On on just the uh, the yeah, what's your what's your game prediction? Defense. What's I mean, what's your game prediction? How do you see the Big Twelve Championship shaking out? So, what do we have the what do we have the spread at? Five and a half as we talk. Five and a half and forty six and a half is the over underline. Yeah, I'm gonna go thirty one seventeen, Oklahoma State. So right over, and then I'm taking Oklahoma State to cover. I think this is the second time this has happened. That is literally the, the exact score prediction that I have. 31 I'll go 31, to, 20, I'll go 31 yeah. 20. I don't think Oklahoma State gives up 20, knock on wood, but I don't. <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm going to stick with 17. Uh, I think that's the second time in like seven episodes that we've been on each other's score prediction. That's crazy. Um, my reasoning for that, and then maybe you can give yours. Uh, I think Oklahoma State hits on more chunk plays. I think they're able to find more success consistently on the ground. And I think that if if it's shaping like I believe it is, I think that defense is going to force him into several mistakes. In that in that situation, he's going to be feeling the pressure. Like, I I completely agree. I I just don't. I know I'm not trying to doubt Tristan Ebner and Abram Smith. Great players are great running backs. Tyquan Thornton is a solid receiver. Drew Estado is solid. Ben Sims at tight end is a great player. But if they have to go with Shapin and with how the defense, the Oklahoma State defense played against them last time, I just don't know how they consistently score. Yeah. No, I, I don't know either. If it's, you know, I, I, I give 31 17 as my prediction if it is Shapin because that's what I believe is going to happen. If it is Gary Bohannon, I, I think I really only throw a, another touchdown on there. Like, I don't know how dynamic – I don't know how much he changes the offense. I think Baylor's going to have something for Oklahoma State. If he's State. not healthy. <clears throat> exactly. If he's not healthy because he's not going to. So, I just don't know how much right. the situation changes. The only way they were able to open it up, like I said last game, is getting him involved in the run game. Yeah, and it's, he didn't really have that many yards. It was just the fact that Oklahoma State had to kind of switch their defense to, to prepare for that. No, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, you going to be there? Yeah. Yes, I yeah. will be there. Well, I think the feels like forty five boys are going to be there. So if you <laughs> see us in Dallas, say what's up. Uh, it'll be a good time. That was a a no doubter that I'm going to be there. Okay, Dustin. Before we go to break, I I want to ask you about this. Um, if so, we just the reason I'm asking you now is because we just predicted, we just put it out there that we think Oklahoma State wins. If Oklahoma State wins, what's your prediction for the college football playoff? How does that shake out? You haven't thought think, about it. I've asked you three questions that you have had no chance to think. No, about. I think I think Georgia, I think Georgia beats Alabama. I think Cincinnati beats Houston. I think Michigan wins, and I think Oklahoma State is in as the four. You think so? So I, I, I think if, that, if that's the way it goes, I won't be surprised. If all four of those teams win, I think Oklahoma State jumps to three. I've, I think I, I said this. See that as well. I think I said this last week, just simply because of the resume. Like Cincinnati's already going to be in in that in that scenario. So you would be basically comparing the strength of Oklahoma State's resume for Cincinnati's for that three to four spot. 
I would I would think that Oklahoma State's resume would be stronger with uh, three top ten wins. So, yeah, I agree. I could definitely see that happening too. That that would be cool to avoid Georgia in the first round. It it would be it would be cool for sure. Um, I think that you think Alabama is going to lose to Georgia. I think so. I hope so. Okay. I know Georgia hasn't really played anyone really good in a little bit. Yeah. So it's kind of a jump up in talent. Yeah. I just, I don't see a whole lot in Alabama that concerns me. Um, so anyway, if, if it goes the way that we both just predicted it, will I think, want to think Alabama loses. I could see chaos happening. I could see Cincinnati f- losing to Houston this weekend. That would be the would ultimate be like Cincinnati thing to do. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do think it shakes out. Georgia well, one, Michigan two, Oklahoma State three, Cincinnati four. Okay, is that the scenario you think is going to happen? That's if what I think happens. I was ask the same question to you. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think happens. And if if Alabama were to beat Georgia, which would be a like nightmare scenario. I think Oklahoma State gets in. Like, so I just do. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't I know how you could stack that resume up against Cincinnati's and say Cincinnati is overwhelmingly the better team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to be, I'm going to go the optimistic route as well. I think Oklahoma State gets in if they win. Well, Dustin, uh, before we go, obviously, huge game in Dallas. Um, did you have any final thoughts? Anything we missed on? Anything you wanted to key us on? I think, I think from an Oklahoma State offensive perspective, you know, the, they were able to block uh, Ika, the nose guard for Baylor, 6'4", 350-pound monster man, pretty well last time with Danny Godlewski. I'm a little bit worried. It doesn't sound – it doesn't seem like Godlewski's going to play. Uh, Gundy, I, from what I've heard, and then Gundy on his radio show made a comment that Mulholski was going to have his hands full with Ika. So I'm a little bit worried about that. And then Spencer Sanders, man, he, he cannot have three interceptions again. Baylor's defense is very confusing. They don't do a lot of different coverage. I mean, it's mainly cover one man, cover three quarters. That's what, that's what they played a lot of last time, but the way they just disguise things, it's mainly their three down front. They'll have their edge. They'll have their edge guys. Well, and Aranda and Ron Roberts, They'll, they'll shoot. We talked, I talked about, I don't know if anybody read my article from pistols firing when I talked about after the game, but they do a lot of simulated pressures, which Jim Knowles does where it looks like they're going to bring six. They drop them all back into coverage. They, they do what Aranda calls creepers where they're bringing a guy from the second, they're bringing three guys off the line. One of them drops back and then the safety's coming from the second level. So it's not really a blitz. It's still four, but they're bringing these guys from so many different angles. It's just, it's just really tough to go against. And last game, Oklahoma State was able to still gain. They didn't have a great yard per carry average, but they were able to still get their outside zone stuff going. But, man, Baylor's defensive front with Maxwell, Ika, Franklin, Randolph, Gabe Hall, and then you've got Petrie. And I talked about Martin not being there for Oklahoma State. Bernard wasn't there for Baylor, and that dude is an absolute stud. And he completely changes the way they attack in their blitzes. Him and Petrie are monsters. The way you can get them, though, I, I don't think their secondary is that great. And I think Sanders can find some shots. If you can get Tay Martin one-on-one, 
I like those odds. If you can get, if you can get Bray on the outside, I know him and Sanders haven't been connecting a lot, but if you can get those guys in one-on-one coverage, you can hit some big plays. What you were talking about the chunk plays with Oklahoma State. And the one thing I'm very interested in, Oklahoma State had a cowboy back on the field for 89% of their plays the first time. What did we just talk about earlier? Nine snaps in the OU game. I don't think Cassidy's going to play. I think Carter should be back. But what does Oklahoma State do? Do they mix it up? Do they go a lot of Blaine Green? It's been working. Last game, they had the Cowboy back on there 89% of the time. So it seems I'd like, like to that, see what they do there. It seems like that could give Baylor some problems, does it? I, I don't know if they're going to know what to expect. And, and a lot of teams have tried to go more 12 personnel against Baylor. I know Texas tried to do that. But I'm just, I'm just not sure. I'd love to see Oklahoma State throw some more screen passes this game. I don't think they threw any last time. Sanders pump faked them, which made no sense because they didn't actually throw any. You'd think you'd want to throw it and then pump fake. Though I didn't hate the scheme last time from Dunn. They tried to get the zone game going, and they got it going early, and they were able to hit some stuff in play action. Sanders was able to go over the middle and outside the hashes between that, like, 0 to 20-yard range. But I think he's going to – I think we're going to need to see – you know, a couple things that we saw in the OU game, some things that Baylor hasn't seen on film, and that then that can do what you said and bust some chunk plays. Yeah, and I think that's where Oklahoma State's going to have to live. I mean, I, I look back at and the last time these two teams met, those those three picks that Sanders threw, um, Rashad Owens was a common denominator in two of them. I'm not putting the blame on him, but he's not playing. Uh, he, he played, I think, 75 snaps last game yeah, or something he's, like that. Yeah, he's not playing right now. Like, Blaine Green... Jaden Bray, those guys are the freshmen that have risen to the top. Uh, and and the Bryson and and Rashad Owens that that were there are no longer, which is good because those guys are not quite ready to be there. And I think they will be at some point in their career, maybe even next year. But where, when they were there earlier in the year, especially Rashad Owens, um, I say this, he made an unbelievable catch in this game for a touchdown on that deep post route. So you took the good with the bad, but um, I'm going to be interested to see what this looks like against a full strength Oklahoma state offense, because it yeah. really flipped a switch for them when they got healthy at wide receiver. No, I completely agree. And I think my last thought on this game is just kind of what I said about Kapinski for the defense, man, that's a huge one. You, and, and you had in this game on offense, you had Jake Springfield still at right tackle. You had the offensive line still being shuffled around. This was, I think, one of the first games where you kind of had some continuity there besides Springfield. You had Jaden Bray play one play. You had Rashad Owens out there the whole time. You had Bryson Green not out there. You had Blaine Green not really a big factor in the offense yet. I mean, the, this, this Oklahoma State team, and, and to go back, I checked Baylor's as well. Really, it was just Bernard they were missing. They've had some movement at their right tackle spot, but both of them played in that game. So Oklahoma State was missing a lot of key guys, and I think they've gotten, I think they've gotten better. Like I think they're the more complete team at this point than Baylor is as the season has gone on. I, I see exactly better. what you're saying, and I, I agree completely with you. I think Oklahoma State has evolved more than Baylor has That's, on yeah. on both sides of the ball since the last time they played. I think Oklahoma State's they've got more ways they can beat you defensively. And and I think they've got, you know, a a much uh, deeper, you know, arsenal 
uh, that they can attack you with offensively. So this is, this is going to be really interesting. Uh, and again, we've already given our predictions. So uh, if you, if you need to rehash, you can, you can hit rewind, but Dustin, I mean, before we get to listener questions, let's go ahead and hear a final word from our sponsor. All right, guys, listen up. Our partners at Symbol, who you already know, have a brand new offering, and we're pumped about it. But before we get to that, here's a quick reminder of what you already know. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. And on Symbol, you can trade sports like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the over 8,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams and visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use our promo code feels 12 for a money back guarantee. Hold on just a second. Money back guarantee. You heard it right. Symbol, our partner is offering a money back guarantee to all of the listeners of this show. That money back guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, symbol will refund your initial deposit with no questions asked. I don't know anybody doing something like that right now. So visit www.symbol.com and again, use our promo code feels 12 and your deposit will have a money back guarantee up to 500 bucks. Join symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today. All right. My favorite part of the podcast, your favorite part of the podcast, um, is this is listener questions. I love this. We've gone long this week, which is not surprising. One, we've already done a two hour pod this year. So uh, not Dustin's <laughs> fault at all. I, I tend to get chatty, but um, I think this week, just because we've gone long, we're going to throw voice questions on um, only. I think we've got a couple that came through on Twitter that we're not going to be able to get to, but do want to shout those people out. Dustin, do you have the names potentially of the people yeah. that sent those in? I want to at least thank them, let them know. We just, we can't quite get to them this week. Yeah. Apologies guys. Th- this is my fault. I'm going to, I have to, I have a hard stop later, so I've got to, I've got to get out of here, but please keep sending these, you know, obviously we're going to take the voice questions first. Cause those take a little bit more work for people to leave those, but we love the Twitter questions. And once we get into the off season, even more time for questions. So shout out to uh, Randall Dryden, Brian Metcalf, DJ, that's at OK State Revolution. You got Matt at two at Matt two three two two nine four three. You got at uh, you got Tyler Beats. You got M, which is at Camara one. That's quite Hayden. a list. Yeah, you got KS Pokes fan, Pistol Paul, Ethan Nickel, Tyler Wheaton, M again. So guys, we really <laughs> appreciate it. A lot of those names are the same that we some of the same ones we see every week and we love these questions for me and a lot of them were great questions we just my fault we're running out of time so well d- don't take it personally guys we uh as we've said from the, the moment we started doing this uh we appreciate that this this is my favorite part because i get to hear from you guys um but if we spent if we answered every twitter question we got it, it would take us over an hour so and no and nobody wants that especially after what we've just done so especially we're gonna no spare you listen to me read yeah, especially our wives, right? Like, <laughs> it's a school night. Okay, well, let's just get right into this then. I mean, uh, frequent caller here, Big Lou, uh, Lou Pineda. He says, go freaking pokes. And this is what he had to say. Hey, guys, Big Lou here. I'm, I'm still just so much on cloud nine. I can't even. But I wanted to, to give you guys' perspective on what the best Bedlam win is so 
So a lot of them have been unexpected. Obviously, 2011 was a beatdown. But this one, the stakes were so high. And finally, finally, OU was on the receiving end of just so much of the just crap that we've had to deal with for so many bedlams. And it was just glorious. And then as the band's playing Boomer Sooner, Lincoln Rally just runs out of town. I mean, I, th- this probably is the most satisfying one for me, but I wanted to give you guys perspective on, like, the the history um, of, of Bedlam. Like, where does this game, this win, stack up? Thanks, guys. appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, Big Lou, thanks for the question, man. Uh, my favorite my favorite voice questions, Dustin, are, are when uh, they answer their own. That's that's my favorite. Uh, and when uh, you brought up Lincoln or Brad Underwood, or sorry, Brad Underwood, but sorry, Brad Underwood uh, or Lincoln Riley, sorry, Brad Underwood, sorry. Uh, great question, Lou. I I am very uh, much of the belief that this was the best Bedlam win uh, of my lifetime. I think you nailed it for all the reasons you said. And uh, yeah, I wish Brad Underwood, sorry, Lincoln Riley, all the the uh, success in the world going forward. Yeah, I think I have to agree. The, I guess the craziest one was probably 2014 with the Tyreek. Yeah, that turn, would be craziest. Th- this one, this one's gotta be the big, and this kind of actually ties into one of the Twitter questions talking about our favorite games that we've ever been to or anything like that. This one definitely is the my favorite bedlam I've been to. Obviously, I didn't get to go to the 2014 when I was living in Houston. Then I was watching it with some friends. So I, I think I have, yeah, I think I have to say this one as well. Yeah. Uh, to me, I mean, the circumstances down nine in the second half, the way they were down is like, this is, this is deja vu. It's every Bedlam game ever. And then you come out on top. Cade, we're going to have to answer that question next week. Cause I need to hear from you because you've been, you've obviously been a Oklahoma state fan longer than me and lived close to the team longer than me since I, I moved here in the middle of high school and, I was an LSU fan until I started going to school at Oklahoma State. So, uh, well, uh, it's it, it's one of the Twitter ones. I, again, I forgot. Well, throw to it, throw it out there. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Okay. <laughs> and sorry to the others. <laughs> <laughs> just, it just ties in with lose. And I, I know you've been to so many Oklahoma State games, so I kind of wanted to. Okay. This is from Tyler Beats at Tyler Beats One. With Tyler gives us a lot of good questions on the show. What's your favorite OSU sporting event you ever attended? Let's it. We can keep it at football if you want. And then was it this year's Bedlam? Also, what's one game you were not at that you wish you attended? Oh, God. Well, so the keep second it football. One, keep it football. Yeah, the second Just one is really easy. Um, Saturday. Um, my plane touched down <laughs> while the ball was kicking off. So, yeah, I would, Tyler, to answer the second part of that question, uh, this last Bedlam would be number one and probably number one till I die um, because I'm not missing another game this year, no matter what happens. Um the my favorite one, I mean, the obvious answer is 2011 Bedlam. Um, I was at that when I was, you know, I hadn't even graduated high school at the time. Uh, my wife and I hadn't even really started dating, so that one was back back when things were uh, pretty simple. So that one stands out. Um, I'll also throw out the Baylor game in 2013 as as a, a one that stands out. College game day, colder than all get out. Uh, that was the Bryce Bryce Petty turf monster game um, where Oklahoma State just dominates a, a probably better Baylor team. So those two stand out. I mean, if I had to go pull one out of the um, like the memory bank, one that would wouldn't mean as much to you guys. 
Um, I would probably go with, um, oh, maybe the Troy game in 2009. I want to say that was Brandon Whedon's first year. Uh, and it's because Mike Gundy stopped by the tailgate afterwards. So there's a, there's a classic story that I won't uh, discuss on the pod, but I think Dustin, you may have heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will not discuss that on the pod, but uh, that one stands out as well. No, I love that. No, I love all those answers. Mine. I th- I'm going to, I was trying to go a little, I guess not off the wall because it was a huge game, but because like I said, I didn't, I went to my first game in 2007 when I was a freshman and I lived in Houston for six years after college. So I was only able to make it back to like one or two game, two games a year during that time. So I don't have as many to choose from, but the A&M game in 2011 Mm, that we won 30 to 29 at A&M went down with a bunch of my buddies. So one of my buddies from Baton Rouge had, he played at uh, the university of new Orleans and he had just transferred to play basketball at A&M his first year there so some of my baton rouge buddies came since it was a big game oklahoma state buddies we all went to the game had a fun great just the overall weekend the game was just crazy as well so i think that one would be my one and you know 2014 bedlam might have been a cool one to be at with the, with the kick or third, the punt return so i was obviously in houston watching that but there's so many i know you have a bunch we could go through this list so oh, don't it. stay too long on it but i think I think that, that was a great question, and it made me it made me think because I was like, "What is my favorite Oklahoma State football game that I've been to?" It's like I said, it all the I've been spoiled. Houston. I mean, I I already mentioned it. This was the first bedlam I missed since uh, I was twelve years old. The first home bedlam game. So I've been spoiled. I've seen a lot of really great <laughs> uh, games. I mean, I've seen some quarterbacks, man, come through Stillwater, Sam Bradford, RG three, Colt McCoy. I mean. It, the list goes on and on and on. So it's, it's been fun to be an OSU fan the last, you know, several years. All right. Thanks Mo- Tyler for that yeah, question. Luke. Tyler, that was a good one. That, that one brought me back a little bit. All right. Here's <laughs> one from, from our old buddy, Robert Wetzel. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey guys, Robert Wetzel. Um, love the show. Love amateur football uh, expertise. Good stuff. <laughs> um, I'll try to make this quick. It's, it's a big thought. In the Smithsonian of Mike Gundy wins, where does this bedlam win uh, fall into place? I personally think 2011 Fiesta Bowl is number one. Um, And are we in a situation where if Oklahoma State continues to win, does each win, upcoming win, supplant the last one in the rankings. Thanks, guys. Robert, thanks for the uh, the question there, and uh, thanks for the shout-out on the uh, amateur uh, football breakdown. You'd sure know good amateur breakdowns when you see them, wouldn't you? Uh, and well, no, Robert, I think I love the last part of your question there. Are we in a, a situation where each win is supplanting the last one? Emphatic yes, because this weekend is the biggest game in school history. And if you win it, then the next one is hands down the biggest game in school history. So I think what you're on to right there is absolutely true. Um, And for that reason, I don't think I can say that this last Bedlam win is the biggest in school history. Um, 
because I would even think that the 2011 Bedlam win was bigger because I think that win allowed for a lot of the wins that we just mentioned 2013 Bedlam. Um, this previous one, I think it just elevated the program. So I would say 2011 Bedlam, I mean, may just live up there forever unless, unless this season goes some other way. Yeah. I think I agree. I think I agree with you, Kate. I think that's a good way to break it down. The, the 2011, not because of that season, but kind of the elevation of the Oklahoma State program after that win. But man, this last one was absolutely nuts. And like Robert said, it's just going to keep getting crazier if they can keep winning. So uh, Robert, really appreciate the question. Robert's a great follow on Twitter as well. So uh, he's always, he's always chiming in with some Robert Robert's an old an old buddy of ours and an old um I think he uh, yeah I say I think he brought me on to uh to our former network and so Robert's got a special place in my heart kind of gave me my start so good to hear from you on the podcast and uh yeah follow him on Twitter if you want to see someone who loves Oklahoma State and um you know maybe put like notifications on this weekend because we want to keep tabs on and make sure he's all right uh, if, if things go <laughs> uh, great or bad in Dallas. So, all right, uh, moving on to uh, one from uh, uh, another buddy of ours, KS Pokes fan. Hey guys, in my opinion, Oklahoma State should be number three in the final CFP. Uh, who else is going to have the record we have wins over two top tens? assuming we beat Baylor, and three top 25 teams. Nobody ever said Texas should be ranked, but they were when we played them. <laughs> what do you guys think? And and nobody would say it again, sir. Uh, we yes. kind of dove into this earlier in the pod. I, I think Oklahoma State will, should be number three if they were to win and everything goes the way you think. Uh, would they? I don't know. I think they should be number three, though. Yeah, what? What do you think the committee's going to do? I know we talked about what we think should happen. What What do you think would happen? Everybody wins, and I just don't see a. I, guess, I don't. I don't see a way you can stack Oklahoma State's resume against Cincinnati's and still say that Cincinnati would be deserving of that three spot. I mean, you can just say it's as simple as one loss to zero, but I don't think that captures the full story at all. So I don't think. I think the committee would put OSU at three. So you think either way? So so Bama wins in that other scenario. You think Cincinnati's out, no issues in? Yes, or is it just in the first scenario? No, I, I think it's three four. Well, okay. and 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 Kirk Herbstreit disagrees with me. So I'd lo- I'd love the opportunity to discuss with him live on College Game Day this weekend if if he's willing. But I do <laughs> think that. Uh, I, and man, this is probably an orange glasses situation. I think I think Cincinnati in a should scenario. Um, should be in but let's say Alabama does win I think Oklahoma I think they'd have a hard time keeping an Oklahoma State who just got a top 10 win two in a row out I I, I saw somebody say that on the college football playoff show they were maybe maybe saying some of them were maybe saying the opposite of that is that yeah true? I don't know I honestly I blacked out at five because I was like <laughs> oh shoot <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Honestly, when the talking, when the talking heads start talking, I tune out because it it just is not, it's not uh, oftentimes very constructive or helpful. So I can't do it. I only trust, I only trust you and I only trust Adam Lunt. That's right. Those are the only two people I listen to. Uh, I agree with you. All right. Last one here from a familiar voice and a familiar name. What's 
up, guys? Cameron Webb here. Uh, been listening to Cade's stuff for like 23 years now, so a long time fan. <laughs> I want to get you guys' thoughts on this upcoming game. Um, you know, we're not sure if we're going to see uh, Gary Bohannon or that Blake Shapin kid. Uh, I'm kind of torn on it because, you know, we've seen Jerry Bohannon do nothing against Oklahoma State. Uh, and that Blake Shapin kid kind of threw a pretty good ball um, against K-State and did some good things against Tech. So what do you guys want to see? Larry Bohannon uh, or Blake Shapin? I'm leaning towards the freshman, but want to see your thoughts. Cam, uh, love you, buddy. If you don't know, Cam, that's my that's my little brother, obviously. But uh, <laughs> yeah, if I had to guess, Terry Bohannon is not going to start. I'm going to go Blake Shapin. Um, and we talked about this. I mean, I don't know if you picked up on it. Cameron's butchering his name there. He called him Gary, Jerry, and Larry. No, Cameron, thanks for the question. I, I think it's going to be the same thing they did against Tech. I think Bohannon's going to be out there dressed. I think he's going to be on the field, throwing the ball around, doing some quick burst stuff, trying to look like he's going to play, and then they're going to go with Chapin. I just – if you put Bohannon out there and it's like throwing, you know, chum to the Sharks, they're going to know he's not full strength and able to run. And I just don't think you – do. maybe against a different defense, maybe if you're going against a defense that's a little bit more vanilla that kind of sets up the same way every time – but I just don't think there's any way they do it against this Oklahoma state, just veteran defense. And honestly, I prefer to see if it's full strength, Brohannon or shape. And I'd obviously prefer shaping because going against Kansas state and Texas tech is so much different than going against Oklahoma state. And you could tell they did not want him to air it out. And maybe they were telling him not to keep it because they wanted to save that for Oklahoma state. But I just don't I like I said he's he's not a big body. He got blasted late by Texas Tech on a play. I thought he was dead. And I just don't I just don't think they're going to be able to do enough with either guy in this game. No, I but I think I'd prefer Shapen. Yeah, I I would prefer Shapen as well. Uh Cam, everybody that send in voice questions and Twitter questions, we really appreciate it in a jam-packed episode this week not a a chance we could get to all of them. So please bear with us and uh, keep doing it because this is, this is a fun part of the show. So Dustin, I mean, let's put a bow on it. Anything that we missed, anything you want to wrap up before we go? Man, I just sucks about Lincoln Riley. Um, And that's (laughs) all I'm going to say about it because we don't talk about OU on this podcast unless it's about a game. When the shoe is on the other foot and it doesn't fit very well, it hurts a lot, doesn't it? Oh, I am so glad we're done. Not talking me and about you. OU. Yeah, I am we so glad we're done talking about OU. Yeah, and I'm we may shocked. be done talking about him for quite some yeah. time. Uh, so yeah, th- feels thank like a you. weight off my chest. Yeah, I got a lot I could say about that that I won't. So um, ask me in Dallas. How about that? If you see me walking around, see Dustin walking around, get our unfiltered thoughts. How about that? All right, yeah. Dustin. Appreciate you, brother. Um, I mean, this has been a fantastic episode. Uh, Breaking down a monumental Bedlam win, but previewing an even bigger game coming up against Baylor. Looking forward to the future. Dustin, follow you on Twitter at DustRagGoo. You can follow me on Twitter at CadeWeb. And most importantly, follow the Twitter account at FeelsLike45Pod because what you're going to see – is a breakdown of everything that we just talked about in Twitter form. And as I've said all season long, it is the best free breakdown of Oklahoma State football that you're going to get on the internet. And I will stand by that. 
Let's go for a college football playoff run here. Let's go get a Big 12 championship ring. Let's, do it. Let's bring one home. Dustin and I are going to do our part. Section 102. Come say what's up. Go Pokes. <laughs> beat Baylor. And we'll see you back here next week.